there are three things that kind of ring differently. And number one is when you start thinking about the political environment, then you also think about the economical environment. And then there's also a part that's cultural that makes a really big difference. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you and other busy pros how to grow your wealth so you can live life on your own terms. I'm your host, Taylor Lode. Our guest today is Billy Keels. While becoming a real estate entrepreneur, Keep On Cash Flow's founder, Billy Keels, continues to work in the corporate world. In fact, he is one of the best corporate soldiers you'd ever want to meet. In the last 17 years, Billy has had the opportunity to work in 86 countries, learn and speak five languages, and he has lived in three European countries. And just to mention, he is an American, so that includes growing up in America. With this personal growth experience, he has had the opportunity to develop professionally by leading multidiscipline teams and managing businesses up to 74 million euros in the application software sector. Billy has earned his stripes as a true problem solver, a skill he's carried into his new entrepreneurial life. Today, Billy is a long-distance real estate entrepreneur, problem solver, author, coach, public speaker, and mentor. He sees opportunities where people don't in people, teams, and real estate. Topmost on his list is building a bridge between investors and buyers in Europe with sellers in the U.S. Now Billy is leveraging his strengths and education, his understanding of real estate across markets, and his leadership and team building skills to help others find great cash flowing investment properties in the U.S. Billy, we've talked a few times. I'd call us friends by now. Thanks for joining us on the show. Taylor, it is really a pleasure to be here and I'm looking forward to a fantastic conversation, man. So you have a, a really, just an awesome bio and talking with you, you always seem to be in a different, beautiful part of Spain or another place in Europe and flying around, having a great time and enjoying what you do. But now you're investing in real estate. Can you give our listeners a bit of a deeper primer on what you've done in real estate since 2013? The thing is, I guess in real estate is something that has been really fantastic. But I guess even before real estate, and you, and you mentioned before, I am a corporate employee. So I've been working in multinationals for the better part of my life. And, you know, when you're working in the multinational, and you, especially if you're in those six-figure salary kind of roles, there's a lot of different things that you have to be involved in. I, you know, I can remember back when I got started before real estate, right? I was taking those long flights and coming back and the, the suit was kind of, I guess, a little bit sweaty and kind of wrinkled because I'd been out all day and then m multiple customer meetings. And I remember one day I was actually managing a team. So I was a sales leadership role and gotten into the office really, really early. You know, you get there, I was trying to figure out who was going to be there first, me or my boss. That was always the competition of the day. He got there first, sorry, that day, as he did many, many times. And even if I was trying to get there really early. But after that, I had a cup of coffee in the morning. I remember talking around and just, hey, everybody, what's going on that particular morning in the, at the office? And afterwards, I went to my team meeting and I remember walking in and everybody just being completely stressed, looking at their phones, halfway listening, halfway not. And I finished that meeting and ran down the hallway to his office. And I remember having the meeting with him, right? And my, I'm waiting and my heart's beating and I'm ready to walk in. And when I opened the door, like he was just this picture of serenity, like completely calm, relaxed. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy's earning more money than me. He's got this whole organization and kind of what was going on. And I was getting ready to get married at the time. And, and I remember my boss asking me how things were going and I was telling him. And when I told him, he was like, well, yeah, your stock portfolio is not doing well. And it was going down. And he was then telling me about this thing called arbitrage. And I was like, what? 
arbitrage. What is that? And keep in mind, this was a, a guy from Scotland who was living in Spain, and he was telling me about investing in real estate, but back in Scotland. And I was thinking to myself, hmm, this is actually kind of cool. Like he was out there, he was doing his normal day job. He had this real estate portfolio that was on the side. And I figured out, like, I needed to kind of do something similar. And because he was Scottish and living in Barcelona, I was like, well, this is kind of weird. So how did that work? And we talked a lot and he explained more and more things to me. But the thing that really stood out is he'd mentioned that this was kind of his plan for retirement. And I thought I wanted to do something that was pretty similar. And I remember sitting down and I wrote this plan and uh, I was going to get into real estate and I wanted to go then buy here and eventually kept always thinking about what my boss was telling me. And one thing led to another. And when I realized that living in Spain, I could do something very similar like my boss was doing, also being able to create more cash flow and then have more control over my life, I thought, wow, this is something that I definitely want to get into. And so it was many, many years later, I think it was like three or four years later. And after having read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I put that plan together. I wrote down a goal that was like a five-year goal. And one thing led to the next. And in 2013, as you mentioned before, I actually bought my first rental property and was able to build a portfolio from there. And then a couple of years later, I've actually started working with other people that are investors outside of the United States primarily. So I know it's probably a long-winded story, but a lot of people that are in day jobs one of the things that I love to be able to do is say, hey, listen, you can also go out and create another life for yourself that can give you more money. It can help you to live with less stress and actually even be in more control of your time. I love it. It's no secret to many people out there listening that have kind of looked into the differences between domestic U.S. and international real estate and things work very differently here in the U.S. And what are some of the, say, misconceptions or items for re-education, however you want to put it? that you've brought to your investors and had to kind of change their mind about as far as real estate investing in the U.S. goes and how we maybe do it a little better here or maybe a little differently? It's a great question because one of the things when I started in real estate, you know, I was really just trying to get to that goal of trying to make more money and have a longer runway, right, for retirement. And so I guess when I started initially, one of the big things that I started realizing, and I always go back to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Because a lot of the philosophies that I learned in that book and still use today, the principles are pretty much global. The big difference is like, how is it applied? And when I start thinking about US real estate versus, let's say, European or specifically Spain, right? And I'll try and be as local as possible because I think, well, most of us know that real estate is very local. There are three things that kind of ring differently. And number one is when you start thinking about the political environment, then you also think about the economical environment. And then there's also a part that's cultural that makes a a really big difference. And one of the main reasons are because of these reasons that I prefer to invest in U.S. real estate, although I live in Europe, right? Because I I think a lot of times a lot of it comes down to preference. But when I start thinking about a lot of the political environment where, well, there's a lot of stimulus that is around making sure that the U.S. real estate economy continues to move forward. That's something that is really important. When you look at the U.S. economy, when you have so many of the world's Fortune 500 companies, more than half of the Fortune 500 companies are actually based in the United States. It's another economical factor that helps, which also creates lots of job diversification. That is something that helps move there. And then also culturally, I think it's something to keep in mind, especially when you're thinking about real estate. And I'll just give you the idea, right? If we look at North America or specifically the United States, typically the average employee is going to change roles some 12 different times during their professional career, right? And as we know, Taylor, 
typically you may go to university or college in one city, you went to college in Memphis, and then you have your first job and it's in California. And then from there, you're going to get a promotion and you're moving to Dallas, Texas. And then from there, you may move somewhere else. And so because of these different factors, it makes the real estate market in the US for me, especially because I'm a cash flow based investor, it makes it a market that I much prefer. And because of that, it minimizes some of the different risk factors. And that also is interesting for a number of the investors that have decided to come and work on board with us. My understanding is that the cash flow opportunity here in the US is significantly greater. And, you know, I certainly agree that cash flow is what we need to be investing for. And we have that opportunity here in the US, whereas prices in much of Europe, real estate being much more local than that, but throughout much of the continent, prices just don't support cash flow. And most people over there that invest are investing for the very long term for an appreciation play. And generally, they're not making a significant cash flow on their investment. Whereas here, the whole goal is to make that cash flow. Yes. I mean, there's definitely for those of us that are focused on cash flow. And I guess one maybe to use an, an example, it's very similar like living in Barcelona or Madrid or, or lived in Paris before as well, those markets are very similar to living in like San Francisco or living in New York City. These markets that are very much appreciation based. And so there are less opportunities to find cash flowing markets like we would have in the United States. You know, we could look at, I guess, over 400 MSA, so metropolitan statistical areas in the United States, which is one language, one currency, primarily one language, one currency, and, and the rules in, are pretty much the same. They vary slightly state by state, but in general, the rules are the same. Whereas if you look at the same kind of European, it's a very, very different languages, different countries, of course, and, and different rules. So that also makes it a little bit more complex to kind of apply the same cash flow based rules. Or if you compare it at the top European to US levels, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as far as just some of the biggest hurdles of a European investor coming to the US and trying to buy properties. I mean, there's a time difference. There's the difficulty of having to get on a plane and fly and spend a couple days to go see properties. What are some of the other big hurdles that an investor from Europe would experience or does experience in investing in properties in the US? I think at the beginning, some of the difficulties are pretty much global. Right. Because a lot of it comes down to at least what I've seen and now working with people that are in Europe or in Latin America or even in North America. What is it that someone really wants to do? What are the goals? And when I say that, I mean, is someone looking for more of a higher risk, high reward? So really looking for an appreciation type play or someone looking for someone that's going to be much more consistent in terms of being able to help you use money today. So I think that the global level, that's pretty much the same. But once you can help people get clear on what type of investing they want to be able to do. I think maybe what a European investor would find is they want to look at the North American market or the US market specifically, excuse me, is really where do you get started? Once you know what you want to do, how can you then decide which is going to be the right location for you to be able to find what you're looking for? And then I would really say after maybe you drill down to, you know, which cities could potentially make the right location for you, but it's how do you get that whole team set up? I think that's where the biggest challenge comes for most investors that are not in the United States because the access to the team is not as easy as maybe we've traditionally seen it. 
I think that would probably be the biggest thing, Taylor, that I see with those investors that are not in the United States that are interested in investing in the United States. Mm, absolutely. I mean, the team, you know, in anything you do is the biggest part of taking yourself out of the equation and multiplying your hours in your day and really giving yourself the freedom that you're looking for financially and both time related. So that's a really interesting point. What have you seen as far as ways to get past that or like the biggest lessons that you've learned in establishing your teams? I mean, obviously being an American and you know, even though you've been gone for a little while, you didn't have that cultural hurdle to get over in coming back to the U.S. and investing in real estate. I mean, is that one of the biggest lessons that you've learned seeing act- like Native Europeans investing in the U.S. is the cultural element? Once you kind of get past the, okay, now I know I need to have a team established. As far as getting that team built up, you know, is it cultural? How do we get past that and, and start building that team for European investors? If I think of a relationship, like when I met my wife many moons ago, in the beginning, there was a courtship that took place, right? And I wanted to understand more about her. She wanted to understand more about me. There was a curiosity. So we got to know one another. We decided we would spoke on the phone. We would see one another during the day. Eventually, we decided that there was a mutual interest. And so we wanted to know one another more. So we started meeting with one another. We began to share more about our lives, about our goals, about our dreams to the point that we eventually recognized that it was such a great partnership that we wanted to get married. And eventually we took our relationship to that level and we got married. And eventually we went from marriage to having children and things like that. So I guess in the same way that that relationship evolved, that it needs to happen in a very similar way with an investor. And what could a European investor find? Maybe that's a bit different than someone who's in the United States is maybe in those early days, the communication could be a barrier. And I don't mean language as a barrier, but communication, being able to understand how does the local market operate, understanding what the local team, what they specialize in. Does the team specialize in three-star Michelin type of restaurants or is it in fast food restaurants? And I mean that we like to typically talk about A, B, and C class properties. But when you're a European investor or someone who's not in the United States, how do you figure out the team member that you're talking to, do they have the same focus on the same tenant that you want to be focused on or the same resident, whatever the language that you may be able to use? So in the early days, you probably spend a lot of time on email. From there, you get on the phone and there's so many different tools that are available nowadays, whether it's Skype or Zoom, where you can invest the same amount of time. And as long as it's mutually beneficial, then eventually, once you've invested that time, and then it probably will make sense for the European investor or the investor with which they work or with whom they work will get on a plane and build the relationship with the team locally face-to-face. It's the very same evolution that takes place or that took place with my wife and I that would take place from someone who is not in a particular market to being able to build that relationship if it makes sense. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Billy, what is the best investment you've ever made? I'll keep it very real estate related because I think the best one ever was just education in in myself and being able to understand. But if we want to focus it on the real estate was the very first duplex that I ever bought back in 2013. I bought that in the property was in New Jersey and my wife and I were in Cairo, Egypt 
at the moment of closing. So that was the very first one and, and without a doubt has been the best one because that was the first one for me to get things started. Wow. The spark that lit the fire. So I like that. And that's awesome. You got to do that. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment you've ever made? I would say one of the properties that I purchased, probably I think it was the third property that I purchased. It was a big learning for me because I didn't do the due diligence properly. And because I didn't do it properly, about two years after purchasing the property, I found out that I had about $20,000 worth of roofing issues. And had I had a stronger due diligence process, it probably wouldn't. But that hurt a lot. But I guess it's also helped me to get much better in terms of my due diligence process. So I don't know, in hindsight or, or more specifically, what have you learned about that? What could you have done differently? I mean, is it as simple as hiring someone for a couple hundred bucks to just go through the house and take a million pictures so you can review it? Do you get you know boots on the ground? Like if we, if we want to really drill down the change that you made in your due diligence process or what you could have done differently that time around, can you get a little more specific? I mean, I've always done a home inspection. So that was always part of it, right? And this was, keep in mind, this was a quadplex. So we'd had that report and it came back, but I did not actually take the time to actually drill in and to look at the report and specifically to highlight certain areas like roof, like HVAC. I just took the report and read through it and didn't really question it. And so one of the things that I've learned is that the major systems moving forward, because also the properties are larger, I want to make sure that I take special time to not only read the report, but check on those major systems and also speak with the person who did the inspection specifically and have my team member there that is on site during the inspection. So not just take for firsthand what you read on a report and also making sure that I am hyperly focused on the major systems as it relates to due diligence, uh, follow-up and inspections. Hmm. Okay. You know, this next question might you might have already given us the answer to that, but what is the most important lesson you've learned in investing? The most important lesson I've learned is get started because you don't really know anything until you get started. One of the things I know I'd mentioned in the very beginning was I'd read books. Like I was reading a lot of books and I probably read books for almost three and a half years before I ever bought my first property. And you don't really learn anything, in my opinion, until you get started. That's the biggest lesson. I could have gotten started and had some of those lessons happen a lot sooner and been further along in my progress than I have been. That makes sense. Yeah, you really want to dive in and, and get going because the, the way you're going to learn is by doing. And unfortunately, you know, as we covered, you're going to learn by making mistakes and hopefully they're not too big and you're able to survive those mistakes. So kind of before we sign off today, is there anything else that you wanted to share with the audience, a specific lessons or things that you've learned more recently, maybe we didn't cover? As your business progresses, and I say the business, right? Because someone may just decide that they want to be a very passive investor and they just do certain things or someone maybe want to be active. And really the thing that I am becoming more and more aware of, it is so much about the team in terms of your progress, your development, and not just on purchasing properties, but what you learn about your specific niche, right? And being able to grow more as an investor, as an educator, as a mentor, it really is about the people and the teams that you surround yourself with that can be such an important part of your ability to attain and overachieve against the goals that you set for yourself. Awesome. I love that. I've learned through 
my own investing and certainly hosting a podcast that the team is absolutely key because we all only have so many hours in the day until you're willing to hire someone to handle tasks that can be done by someone else. You're just going to always be limited by the number of hours you personally have to spend or invest in whatever particular venture you're pursuing. So I absolutely agree that building a team to multiply the number of hours in a day that you have invested in your investing business or you know whatever other business you're pursuing, that's really, really key. So Billy, where is the best place for our listeners to get in touch with you? There are a couple of different places. If that's okay with you, I'd just like to let people know. I mean, because when you're looking at long distance investing, I did write a book about my experience a couple of years back, and I'd like to offer your listeners a free copy of that ebook. And they can go to growyourmoneythesmartway.com and check that out. If anybody wants to just get on the phone and have a conversation, I'm happy to share my experience. They can go to bit.ly forward slash speak with Billy. And if anyone would just like to take a look at what we're doing at Keep On Cashflow, please feel free to go to the website. And that is keeponcashflow.com, K-E-E-P-O-N cashflow.com. Awesome. And all those links will be in the show notes. So if you just want a clickable thing, click the show notes and they'll all be there. So Billy, thank you for joining us today. You know, I know we got a pretty significant time difference here, so I'm glad we were able to make it work. And thank you for all the awesome lessons. To all the listeners out there, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's a big help. If you know someone, a a friend or a family member that needs to grow their wealth or you think should have access to this information, please share the show with them and bring them onto our team. For now, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Thank you for tuning in and we'll talk to you on the next one. 